What's up, pumpkin? Who knows? <laughs> I, uh, Good answer. I really like, I feel like I have a little bit of a better um, handle on my day-to-day life today, but also, who knows? <laughs> who knows? How are you? Trash. I'm trash. I'm, I'm, I'm trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Lillian Bustle. I'm <laughs> And I'm this is all the I'm that have- trash heap from Fraggle Rock. Oh, it was so wise. It was very wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would go ask it questions. Yeah, that was a good puppet. <laughs> that was a good puppet. That was a good puppet. Fuck, the Guardian did this amazing interview with Frank Oz. It was so wonderful. It's just this big article where they where they talk to him about his work with the Muppets and like his fucking soulmate partnership with Jim Henson and a little about Yoda and shit. And uh, one adorable thing that I learned is that um, Grover from Sesame Street is based on his dog. He was like, what would my dog be like if my dog could talk? <laughs> I love it. Grover's the fucking best. That's so cute. Isn't that so cute? I audibly <laughs> gasped while I read that. <laughs> it was so wonderful. Nice. Fuck. I had a nice weekend. It was just very chill and lovely, and there was some hanging out on the roof. And yeah. there was also some day drinking in an old man bar that of epic proportions. Oh, well done. <laughs> Tell me about like, this old man bar. So it's called The Hub again. And the reason nice. why it's called that is because it was The Hub, but then it burnt down. And then when they rebuilt it, they called it The Hub I again. I love when they do that shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like love Ruth, that. Like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Like... So you walk in and it's like a long, dark hallway. It's all wood paneling. Fuck. Um, it's cash only. I knew the second I walked in it was cash only. Cash you know. Only. You know that vibe. And it's definitely like, I can't say, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but like it seems like the kind of place where even though smoking is illegal inside, perhaps somebody still smokes inside. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there, are, there are certainly still ashtrays there. Uh, yeah. Uh, there is um, Bud, Bud Light, and like cores on top, and a, uh, a a Bud Light draft and a shot of Crown Royal was six dollars and fifty cents. Thank you very much. Okay, give um, me give me the average of what that should be in normal bar talk. Um, well, Crown Royal is top shelf liquor, so that probably wouldn't come in a beer and a shot anyway. But it's typically like a PBR. And a shot of house whiskey for ten bucks. That's the going rate generally. Okay. All right. All right. So, so PBR it would be fancier is, than that. PBR is technically an import, but it's the same ilk as yes. Bud Light. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. in the in the terms of who cares beer. Um, <laughs> right. But it was really funny because they had like a side a side um, shelf with like it seemed to me like the fancy liquor somebody 
convinced us to buy, but nobody really buys. So we're going to try to showcase it in case you want some rum chata or some liqueur 43, which is a, a, a Spanish vanilla liqueur, which I actually love and was of course you do. floored to see it in there. It's not that expensive. It's just not used. It's not a staple in many drinks. Like triple And sec- hasn't been yeah. since like 1976, right. correct? <laughs> sure. It might have been there <laughs> since then. Um, no, it was delightful. Like far, far too much lighting uh good jukebox two pool tables but my friend gerald was like um well people are on the good pool table i don't want to play on the other one and i was like well are you sure because like you're gonna beat me anyway i'm terrible at pool and he was like no no there's that table's no good and i was like oh, no, excuse me <laughs> so <laughs> i hoped you actually meant people are on the other pool table like it was just a bar oh, that people was were so out it. of no. control <laughs> No, 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 Man. no, 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 no. This bar, um, it opens at 8 a.m. It is meant for oh, shift, it, like, my God. for shift workers because there used to be a lot more factories and stuff around. Oh, so uh, yeah, so it opens at 8 a.m. I think there's a TV in it, but nobody was really watching it. Um, and it was just, you know, it was uh, it was old dudes of all backgrounds just sitting, not really talking to each other, staring forward. Got really excited when Prince came on the jukebox. Like, it's the kind of place where I was like, this could be one of those Hudson County places that's still super racist. Um, Mm. But Gerald is black and he's been going there for quite some time. And he's like, nope, this place is chill. And there were um, people speaking Spanish in the back and like old white dudes with veteran hats and stuff in the front. So that is my favorite thing about Jersey City is that, but well, technically it's Union City, but close enough. By and large, people people chill out. People chill out with each other. Oh God, you have, have you heard to. about the anti-gay stuff happening in Bushwick? No, happening in Bushwick. Yeah. Uh, so I heard that the window of Come On Everybody, which is a gay-friendly spot in Bushwick, got smashed out. Um, another place got like a, a flag torn out, but like a bunch of things have happened in like the last two weeks. So this is uh, the rally's happening before this is going to air, but there's a there's a a march in Brooklyn on the eighth tomorrow. Wait, in yes. support of the queer community or yes. a march by terrible people? No, no, no. no. Okay, but great. In support of the queer community, yes. Mm. But that's a um, a wonderful clarifying question. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> so, I uh, I often do my audition tapes with this wonderful, lovely actress named Alessandra, who is uh, from, who's usually in LA. And um, when we tape together, I'm her reader, she's my reader. And we take the first little half of our time together to just catch up. And I hadn't talked to her since like June. And she was like, oh my God, how are you? And I was like, how are you? And she was like, And she was so poignant. She was so fucking poignant when she was like, it just kind of overall keeps getting worse, which is like, it's not a cynical response. It's just the fact Mm -hmm. like it does kind of feel like one step forward, one and one eighth step back. Um, or even, even just like smaller little bits, but over and over, like, you know, 
and and when things feel good personally things in the world are even more trash or if things are like going kind of a little bit better in the world then something personally goes really bad and like I don't know if that's always the ebb and flow of the world I've never felt it to be that way Uh but it's palpable now and I was like oh my god you're so right like it's overall just getting a little worse. So every mm-hmm. time you're like, oh, I can't wait to get out of this period. You should have been happy for that terrible period because this <laughs> other terrible. And then literally and, like. And unemployment ended today. <laughs> yes. Right. Fuck. Fuck. Mm-hmm. That's been keeping me afloat. Yep. Same. What the fuck are we supposed to do? And like. The Democrats are doing nothing, which is exactly what the most leftist of us have been screaming about all this time. And the rest of us were like, no, no, maybe they will. But nobody's doing fuck all. And instead they're like, no, no, no pandemic, la, la, la. And um, numbers and and stats are getting worse. And now that school is back, I want to say like a week or two from now, we'll really start to see the impact of what mixing and mashing all of these children together is doing. Oh, Um, yeah. I am. So every time I see children, I run away from them now. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Legitimately. Mm -hmm. I would rather sit next to... An old white dude with no mask on on the train than sit next to anybody's child, masked or not. <laughs> well, that's always been the case. Well, just more I, so now. Not yeah, not I don't. I've never actively run from them, but now I'm just like you're. you're <laughs> yeah, the contagious ones. The contagion it lives within you, oh. and then so she says this, and I'm like, fuck. I wish you weren't right, but. God, that seems really right. And then within two hours of talking to her, my house was flooded. (laughs) My house was flooded because on top of all the other terrible shit that we see happening. Uh, Hurricane, um, it's not a hurricane. We're getting... Yeah, we're getting hurricanes that we never, ever would have gotten before. And this is just how it is now. And, like, the water table is so high that places that have never flooded before are fucking flooding. Mm-hmm. Man, it was crazy. Uh, Lillian and I, fuck buddies, follow this amazing account called New Jersey Memes. They were reposting all through the hurricane uh, and its impact on New Jersey and New York, which most place, places that most of you listeners are from. And... Um, Wow, we got more rainfall. We got historic highs of rainfall. Mm -hmm. I want to say the historic high for like Newark was something like four inches ever. And in an hour, Hurricane Ida gave us eight. Yeah. And in in Central Park, the historic high was three inches of rain (laughs) in an hour. And instead, Central Park got seven. Yeah, it blew past it. And it just set a new record like a couple weeks ago. Oh, with that oh, last with Henri. Rain. Yeah, the, I believe so, yeah. Henri was also bad. Henri, oh. Henri had my house flooding for the first time ever. And I was like, what is this? And then for Ida, it was it was literally like Fantasia. It was fucking just oh. like Fantasia. Like it took three of us bailing out the basement 
constantly. It's not like, well, you know, mop it up and then check on it in 20 minutes. Mm -mm. It was just streaming Mm. in through the floor. Crazy. So I, um, it's been a week. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's been a week. Fuck. (laughs) Oh, and that's why our episode was late because my house flooded and our power went out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it just took me a couple days to get my fucking head together. Also, I will say, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if this is insensitive, but I'm pleased with it. (laughs) There's an episode of the Golden Girls. It's a two-parter, I think, where the hurricane is, uh, where they're expecting a hurricane. And Sophia comes out in a slicker, and later on she wears this red sweatshirt that says, I'm ready, take me Hurricane 91. And it's bright red, and it's ridiculous, and I fucking love it. And I got a shirt that is the exact same design, and I 1,000% wore it while, well, not during the hurricane, the morning after when, of course, it was, like, fucking beautiful and crisp and blue and clear, uh and you could see every cell in a leaf. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just, like, showing up to Lowe's in my insensitive but amazing golden girls <laughs> um our uh jersey city's drinking water was fucked for five days your three water days, is four affected days. often uh why yes it is and it's not necessarily just by rain so whatever's happening with suez um our city keeps saying that they're going to do an investigation and then like nothing ever happens what's suez so suez is the um the water authority mm. i don't know what it stands for some useless <laughs> esoteric uh, zealot <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I had a giant pallet of water from like the last time that our water was trash. So at least we had some water. That's but, good. Yeah, it really is. Like everything's just a scramble. Everything. Yeah, I don't know. It feels a bit like standing up at the exact wrong point in the ocean, where where literally every 20 <laughs> seconds you get knocked on your ass. Yeah. Like, you're not out far enough to actually be swimming, and you're not shallow enough that you're just like, ooh, my toes. It's like, No, fuck, yeah. Right fuck. in the breakers. Right. Yeah. Mouthful of And you're Sam. like, if I can just get, if I can just get, if I can just get, mm-hmm. and then, and then you're like, poof, face plant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, indeed. Mm. <laughs> That's it. How are you guys doing? How's how's everybody at home doing? <laughs> fuck. We, yeah, fuck buddies. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> it's hard times. So. Um, uh, in, in fun things and possible recommendations, we've been watching a show called The Boys. Do you know about this? I know of The Boys, it's- and I've heard very good things. Oh my god, it's so good! Yeah. It's like dystopian future where there's superheroes and like, I mean, the superheroes are, Assholes. some of them are shady. Yeah. yeah. And um, I have, there is there are horrific scenes that, uh, the likes of which I have never seen in anything. Her- horrific um, as in violence? Yes. Yeah. But also creative violence. <laughs> And it's campy enough. It's campy enough that I don't have like nightmares about it or anything. But 
yeah, yeah. It's it's it it actually answers a ton of the questions of like, what if superheroes did this, or what like what if they could do this, like what what is what's the physics of that? Um, but that they've also like gone down a very interesting road about Christianity, and there's a lot of feminist stuff that's coming up, and some Me Too movement stuff that's coming up that they're handling, I think, very well. Um, so it's just been that, and I've been watching the second season of. Uh, Work in progress, which I oh, yes. super adore. Did you watch the first as well? Oh yeah. Oh good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I tore through it. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't turned on work in progress yet. Um, but uh, but Sam posted a meme. Yeah, I saw it. Fuck, God, she's so ridiculous. She's amazing. What it, it's? Uh, you should you should read it. The quote is great. It's so good. I'm gonna find it right. I think it's now. Nobody claws their way out of the uter out of nobody claws their way out of the uterus. Uh, a a, a per, an a exact perfect, queer perfect or something queer. like that. Mm-hmm. 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 And then her caption is in the top five TV lines written by me. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Um, God. So I'm excited to I'm excited to dip into that. Um, my recommendations. Uh oh! I watched some really good shit. First of all, I have to plug this for my friend Misha Osherovich, um, who is a non-binary actor, and they are one of the stars of a film on HBO Max called Freaky. I highly recommend this. Freaky is a genre-bending horror comedy where. It takes elements of, like, Jason and Halloween and mixes them up with, like, Freaky Friday and Wish Upon a Star and, like, all of the body swap things. Oh, my God. This looks amazing. very funny, very creative. Basically, Vince Vaughn is a Michael Myers-type serial killer, and (laughs) he ends up doing a body swap Chucky style with this... Teenage girl who's not even, who's just like kind of mousy and she's just like, you know, like a little sensitive weirdo. And so, of Uh course, she becomes this serial killer who's mostly quite silent, (laughs) a la Jason or Michael Myers, which is in and of itself delightful. And Vince Vaughn (laughs) spends most of the movie as this like terrified teenage girl. And it's a joy, and Misha is so good in it. Uh, I mean, everybody does Love an amazing it. job. It's, it's it's delightful. So that's called Freaky. It is on HBO Max. Um, I strong, strong recommend. Another movie, kind of in that vein, that's very self-aware. If you like, especially if you like the horror genre, there are a lot of send-ups. There's one called The Final Girls. And this is a movie from a handful of years ago, but The Final Girls is about a mother and a young mother and her teenage daughter. And the mother is an actress, but she's like a has-been actress. She's still pounding the pavement. She's still trying to get her next big job. But the first thing she was ever known for was a really low-budget, campy, campy slasher film. Mm-hmm. Um, called Camp Bloodbath. <laughs> okay. And uh, in it, she plays, like, the virgin. And uh-huh. 
she her daughter ends up going to a screening of this film where there's an emergency like there's a fire and she gets she and her friends get trapped inside the movie like they they like go through the screen and it's hilarious oh my god (laughs) in fucking credible i love this movie i love it so much that i like I bought it digitally, I oh my god, I love it so hard. It uh, stars Taisa Farmesia, who's Vera Farmesia's little sister, um, who does cool. a wonderful job. It stars Malin Ackerman, who I also fucking love. Um, uh, uh, the dude from Workaholics, who looks like a golden retriever puppy turned into a person. <laughs> It's so it's so good. Uh, Thomas Middleditch is in it. Uh, Alia Shawcat. Ooh, sorry. These are fucking FedEx. Um, it's it's marvelous. It's so fucking good. Really good send up. Touching, frightening, creative as fuck. I hey. I felt freaky. And where's it streaming? Um, the uh, f- it looks like it's on Hulu. I think oh, it's on Hulu for premium. If you have premium, um, and then Amazon Prime for like. Three bucks. Okay, so you can to rent. you can rent it basically. Yeah, um, or Google Play, Apple TV, Vudu. It might be on regular Hulu. Search it out on Hulu. If not, kick sure. kick three dollars towards Prime because holy fuck, it's so good. And that is my yeah. that's my long winded compliment for Freaky because I hold up the Final Girls as like one of the peak examples of a, of a love letter to horror in a comedic send-up, and I think Freaky did an a, an equally wonderful job. So. Nice. Strong recommend. And also the parallels between that and my movie, The Reunion, are hysterical. So. Yay. Um, a strong rec. And, uh, oh, and I started watching AP Bio. Oh, I have not seen that. AP Bio is an NBC show starring Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And... Patton Oswalt and Paula Pell and Oh wait, I do remember when that came out. It's Yes, okay. It it has four seasons, so I want to say it premiered in 2018 maybe. Um maybe 2017 and it's a show written by Seth Meyers. Um. And I have to say I want to I want to say I tried out like 10 minutes of it years ago. And like I didn't quite I, my attention got diverted and I never came back to it. But I really tried again because I've heard such wonderful things and I love Patton and I think Glenn Howerton is a, is hysterical. And I was like, why the fuck not? And I noticed how stylistically unique it is. And I was like, Ooh. oh, I get this in a way I didn't get it before. The same way sure. you might watch a Wes Anderson film two times and then be like, "Oh, um, <laughs> I get there, it. yeah." There's the the stylism of AP Bio is delightful. Like if you watch it as though it's just a splashy network comedy, it makes no sense. If you watch it in its <laughs> weird little world, mm-hmm. it's a trip. It's very good. Uh, cool. So strong rec. Love it. Got some, got some comedy TV. Got some great fucking movies. Um, well, I have good recommendations this week. Good job, me. Yay! Because I didn't only watch the same seven things that I watch ad nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> Though no shade. Whoop whoop. N- nope. No shame. No shade to myself. 
So we thought that we would read some more of Necklace of Kisses today. Um, we've been making our way through this, which is a um, a longer novel than we'd see that. Uh, check back if you are just joining us now for the first 92 pages that we've already read. <laughs> Do you want to start this one off? Sure. Witch Baby. On the ride back to Berkeley, Witch Baby put down the convertible top of the black 1965 Mustang that had been her high school graduation present. Now that her head was shaved, she didn't have to worry about the nest of snarls the wind would make in her hair. She played a mixtape Wheatsy had given her when she moved out and yelled the lyrics, She had to leave Los Angeles! City of people with plastic in their faces and bodies, plastic in their wallets, worshippers of plastic. She was glad to be going back to Berkeley, but it made her sad, too. She lived in a co-op on the south side of the campus, near Telegraph Avenue, but she never talked to anyone there. I'm busy studying, she told herself. That's why I don't have friends. Her arms and back always ached from the huge anthropology books she lugged around, and her eyes stung from staying up all night reading. Her stomach growled. She lived on huge glass goblets of coffee from her favorite cafe and mushuritos from the cart on campus, flour tortillas wrapped around shredded cabots and cabbage uh, around... Flour tortillas wrapped around shredded carrots and cabbage, bean sprouts, tofu, and plum sauce. That sounds really good. I won't be here forever, she told herself. This is just a weird rite of passage, college in America. It helped when she thought of it as a ritual. Shave your head. Don't speak. Fast. Walk everywhere. Look straight ahead. Don't smile. Read until your eyes fall out. Do not think about the boy you have loved forever. She bought a clock on Hollywood Boulevard the day she left. It felt sad. She arrived in the late afternoon. The sun was filtering down through the trees along College Avenue. The air smelled of coffee beans and flower pollen. Fresh-faced students with tan, muscular legs walked along or rode their bikes. There was no one here she could call to join her for a stroll or a coffee. She saw a pretty young girl walking along with her mother. They were dressed almost exactly alike in Lacoste shirts, cargo pants, and sandals, and they both had blonde, blunt-cut hair. Which baby remembered how Wheatsy had driven her up here when school started? They had eaten vegetarian curry at an Indian restaurant and bought jewelry and CDs on Telegraph. Witch Baby got her ear pierced again, right on the street, at the very top of her ear, through the cartilage. Wheatsy said, Are you sure this is what you want? And Witch Baby thought she meant the earring, but it was about Berkeley, the homeless in People's Park, the tiny dark room in the co-op. You know you can always change your mind. Witch Baby just shook her head and taped to the wall above her bed a newspaper clipping about a young man who had been kidnapped and murdered because he was trying to save rainforests in Latin America. Being here was her rite of passage. But sometimes she wished she had gone back with Wheatsy. As much as Witch Baby told herself she hated Los Angeles, she had to admit that a part of her loved it. 
She loved the poisonous flowers that grew everywhere, how everyone just accepted their virulence because they were pretty. She loved what the smog did to the sky, the cruel pink streaks it made. She loved the wild animals that lived right there in the middle of the city. That was how she felt in Los Angeles, like a wild thing hiding in a canyon, finding patches of Mexican evening primrose and creek beds and caves to hide in. There was something else which Baby loved about that city, though she didn't want to admit it. It was still the place where her family lived. Weetsy didn't seem to need to punish herself, which Baby thought. Weetsy was sad sometimes, but she knew how to enjoy life. She saw the colors in things. Somewhere deep inside, no matter how confused she was, Weetsy loved Weetsy. That was why she could leave Max and his newspapers and stay at the Pink Hotel, watching soap operas and getting her nails done, which Baby thought huffily. But then again, that was what Weetsy wanted. And what did Witch Baby want? When she got back to her room in the co-op, she sat cross-legged on her bed and went through her mail. Her heart pounded the way it always did when she saw the postcard from Nepal. Nina Bruja. Here my eyes are so full of beauty and sadness. I need to stop traveling for a while. I am moving back to Los Angeles where I can work for my dad. Will you be there? Can you move back? I think I have found what I was looking for. Angel Juan. Three more years, which baby told herself. Three more years, and then maybe you will be ready. You will have passed the test. You will be able to live with him again. You will be able to be with him again. Three years of living inside the big books, eating mushuritos, finding more places to punch holes in your body. What was Angel Juan looking for, she wondered. What am I looking for? Cherokee. Cherokee arrived back in Santa Barbara in the blue 65 Mustang, which had been her high school graduation present, just in time to shower and change clothes for her evening shift. It was a clear night. The sea fog hadn't come in, and the lights of the city below the hotel were like little fallen stars. Could you wish on them? Cherokee wondered. Beyond them, she could see the bay. As she served pumpkin bisque and lobster ravioli, she thought about her mother dining alone at a restaurant like this. A middle-aged woman in a beautiful hotel, trying to figure out what she needed. Sipping her Chardonnay, dipping her roll in olive oil and basil, patting her lips with her napkin, noticing the lipstick stain. Leaving behind her home, her lover, her babies. But then, we aren't really babies anymore, are we, Cherokee thought, even though she still felt like one sometimes. After work, she decided to take a walk around the hotel grounds. She couldn't stay long. She knew Raphael would worry. He was home now, in their little bougainvillea-covered adobe apartment on State Street, reading his philosophy books. He'd been at class when she got home. They hadn't seen each other since she'd left for Los Angeles. She moistened her lips with her tongue, thinking of the way he tasted his hard hands and sensitive finger pads, the almost girlish fullness of his mouth. The pool, was down the, the pool was down the hill in the middle of an expanse of lawn. Cherokee imagined what it would look like from above. Whenever she went on trips as a little girl, she liked to see the Southern California pools from the airplane. 
They cheered up the brown landscape of Los Angeles, little spots of blue. And this city was so much prettier than L.A. She loved the tiled terracotta roofs on all the Spanish-style buildings, the missions and parks and roses, the cute shops filled with bright, sexy clothes, the houses in the hills with their dense gardens, the expansive beach at the edge of the town. Cherokee took a path that wound among the low, white wooden buildings. She passed the reflecting pool in the Great Barber, the little waterfall, the small stone that marked where someone had buried their beloved dog. Exotic plants from all over the world were planted thoughtfully, with tiny signs marking their names and place of origin. Enchanted Garden. Cherokee sat on a white wooden swing and listened to its soft creak, the chirp of the crickets, the sound of a piano concerto coming from someone's room. She knew that her grandparents, Witsi's mother and father, had come here on their honeymoon in the 50s. It probably wasn't much different looking then. She imagined them sitting on this swing, looking out over the gardens, holding hands. Brandylin was beautiful, a blonde starlet with skin that lit up a room. Charlie was tall and thin with a dark, chiseled face from the pictures she'd seen. Cherokee thought he looked a lot like a stretched-out version of her own dad. Charlie had met Brandy Lynn on the set of a movie he'd written. Supposedly it was love at first sight, a whirlwind romance, courthouse wedding, and off to Santa Barbara. Obviously, Cherokee thought, that was before drinks thrown in faces, screaming fights, smashed vehicles. Wheatsy had told her once about the day Charlie left. Brandy Lynn, who never got her hair wet, dove right into the pool when he walked away. Twelve-year-old Wheatsy, who was standing on the balcony of the condo, Wondered for a second if she would have to save her, but Brandy Lynn came up for air, only to jump into a martini glass and not emerge for years. Cherokee wondered if Wheatsy and Matt ever fought like that. Wheatsy and Max ever fought like that. She didn't think so. She'd never seen it. But she knew things weren't right between them. Her dad always seemed so preoccupied now. He never talked about ideas for his films. and never talked about anything, really, except the news. Cherokee hadn't seen her parents acting affectionate with each other in a while. She and Witch Baby used to find it rather disgusting, all the hugs and kisses. But now she secretly watched for some signs that her parents still cared about each other. She tried to imagine what it would be like if Raphael stopped holding her. It was impossible to imagine. They had loved each other for so long that she didn't even really know what loneliness felt like. Maybe it wasn't fair. Why did she always receive affection when her sister seemed so hungry for it? And if someday the love stopped, what would Cherokee do? What would she do if she was 40 years old, no longer sylph-like and utterly charming, possibly wrinkled and unkissed? I would come here, Cherokee thought. I would dine on smoked salmon, capers, and toast at the restaurant. I would swim in the pool. I would sit on this bench and listen to the crickets. I would hope that Raphael would miss me as much as he does now. Brunch. Wheatsy went back to her room and showered, scrubbing her skin vigorously with a washcloth and fragrant green gel until her eyes watered. She was determined not to cry. She put on a fresh tank top, her orange pants with the zippers, and her orange sneakers. She fastened the Hello Kitty watch around her wrist, wondering at what age she would decide she was too old to wear it, 
At least her sunglasses and bag were dignified. She decided as she marched back out to meet Perry and Bean for breakfast. Well, at least her bag. It was Sunday, and there was a huge buffet brunch in the hotel restaurant. Long tables were decked with hot, covered silver serving dishes of scrambled eggs, bacon, sausage, waffles, pancakes, and French toast dusted with powdered sugar. There were fruit plates decorated with scattered pomegranate seeds, shredded coconut, and toasted pecans. There were platters of lox, cream cheese, red onions, olives, cucumbers, and tomatoes. One chef was making omelets to order with a selection of finely chopped vegetables. Another chef was making fresh crepes. <laughs> another, another chef was making fresh crepes. There were <laughs> baskets of bagels and pumpkin muffins and a whole table displaying miniature fruit tarts that looked good enough to wear. Wheatie's stomach grumbled. The stress of the morning had taken a lot out of her. She sat down to wait for Perry and sip her ice water with lemon. She took a few pink packets of sugar and crunched the granules in her fingertips, thinking that she would take them back to her room to mix with moisturizer and use later for a facial scrub. <laughs> this is when we worked at Lush. <laughs> <laughs> if Charlie were here, he would make free lemonade for her the way he used to do, adding lemon slices and sugar to the ice water. But he would be so old now, frail. His hand would feel different. Maybe she was thinking of him because of the wedding on the lawn, the visit from her angry girls, the strange weather. Outside the glass walls of the restaurant, the rain was falling heavily while the sun tried to peer through, tinting the air silver. Weetsy put the sugar packets into her purse where her fingers grazed her cell phone. She picked it up and checked. Yes, there was a new message. Someone had just called. Mm -hmm. The voice sounded more desperate this time, almost frantic. Please come home. Please, we want you to come home now. This isn't fair. You need to get back here right now. Hello there, Perry cried, rushing up and kissing Weetzie on both cheeks so that her high, tight braids swung and tickled Weetzie's neck. She was wearing a short, zippered, black, high-collared dress with her buckled sandals. You look nice. Thanks. I wonder if the effect is a bit too dominatrixy. Have you been waiting long? <laughs> oh, I'm in no hurry, Waitsy said. I was just watching the rain. I wonder if it will spoil the wedding. This wedding? On the main lawn, they have a tent, she said, more wistfully than she had intended. Perry glanced at Max's ring on Waitsy's finger. Where did you get married? she asked, trying to wipe Bean's runny nose as he twisted away from her toward the buffet tables. Weetsy was silent, and Perry said quickly, I'm not married myself. His father was an elf king from the Emerald Mines. Haven't seen him since. <laughs> Shall we get our food? <laughs> Weetsy followed her to the buffet, thinking about weddings. A few years ago, she and Max had gone to dinner at a vegetarian restaurant in Topanga Canyon, where little white lights twinkled around the cupids in the fountain, and coyotes watched from the creek bed as they exchanged rings. It was enough of a ceremony at the time, but now Weetsy wished they had done more. She had worn a narrow, white brocade suit with big buttons on the jacket, rhinestone-studded sandals, and gardenias in her hair. But secretly, she had longed for a dress in the shape of a wedding cake and a veil that touched the ground. 
While she was waiting for Perry, Weetsy had carefully planned her six-course meal. But by the time she got up to the tables, she was overwhelmed and only took some sliced cucumber, fruit salad, and scrambled eggs. "'Aren't you coming?' Perry asked after she and Bean had devoured six pieces of bacon, an avocado omelet, a bagel with lox and cream cheese, and a pumpkin muffin, and were heading back for more. "'Oh, no, thank you,' Waitsy said. "'I'm not as hungry as I thought.' When Perry and Bean came back with fruit salad, fruit tarts, and French toast, Waitsy was examining a slice of cucumber and thinking of her children. Perry touched her hand. "'Are you all right, then?' Weetsy smiled, but her eyes filled up with tears when she heard the concern in the woman's voice. She hadn't realized how much she needed to talk about what had just happened with Cherokee and Witch Baby. My daughters just came by. Here? Oh my, I hope they're not like my family, Perry said. Monsters, muttered Bean as he gobbled, as he gobbled up a slab of French toast drenched in maple syrup. They're angry that I left, Wheatsy said. Perry and Bean both stopped chewing and looked at her with their slanted gray eyes. They nodded sympathetically. I'm not ready to go home. You can join us, Perry said. We might go to New Orleans next. There's a big old Victorian house in the middle of a graveyard that takes people like us in. I've always wanted to go there, Weetsy said, New Orleans, but I don't think I can. It has a pool with selkies, Bean said, and there's a warlock who gives fencing lessons. Well, for now, Perry said, after we eat, let's take a look at that wedding, shall we? Weetsy and Perry went up to the terrace to watch the guests arrive, while Bean sat at their feet, examining the ants on the blue hydrangeas. The rain was still coming down steadily, and the guests hurried over the lawn under their umbrellas. Weetsy wished she could see the inside of the tent. It glowed with warm light, and she could hear the musicians playing some odd, charming music. The wedding party, dressed in pearl gray, jade green, and pink, stepped across the grass, umbrellas held low, and vanished into the tent. After a while, two people appeared in a golf cart. Suddenly, the rain stopped. The sun broke through, making a rainbow that arched across the tent. A young woman in a huge puff of white dress and a white veil leaped out of the cart. She lifted her skirt, and three little girls in green and rose-colored dresses rushed out from the petticoats, holding giant peony bouquets. The woman and the girls ran toward the tent, giggling. An older man got out of the cart and followed them, trying to catch hold of his daughter's train, which was about to drag into the puddles. Weetsy thought she saw the bride levitate just in time to avoid the muddy water and land, pristine at the opening of the tent. She disappeared through the white flaps. Weetsy looked at Perry. That's a wedding! Yes, it makes me wish, it makes me wish the elf king stuck around. Perry said. For the first time, Weetsy registered the Elf King thing. Before she could ask more, Perry kissed Weetsy's cheek. Thank you so much for brunch. Let's play again sometime before we have to rush off. When is that? Weetsy asked. It depends on my family, 
Perry said breezily. Then she took a darker whisper. I'm in the garden rooms, 45A. If you see any weird, red-haired folk lurking around, do let me know, will you? I think they're getting closer. They really can't take Bean from me. Of course, Wheatsy said. She watched Perry scoop up her son and walk away. She hoped she wouldn't have to fight any monsters. She hardly had enough energy to face her own children. Hmm. Wedding. Wheatsy woke from her nap, rested, and saw that the rain had not returned. It was a clear, warm night. The trees were sparkling like green glass chandeliers. Wheatsy thought about the way the sun had appeared with the bride in the golf cart. It would be a story the bride could tell her children and her children's children. Wheatsy wished she had a story of her own. She would have at least liked to tell Cherokee and Witch Baby about the flower girls inside the dress and the flying bride, but she knew her daughters might never forgive her for this adventure and would probably not want to hear anything about it. Wheatsy put on cocoa with the black camisole and black stilettos, but instead of cheering her up as it usually did, the outfit made her more depressed. She decided to walk down to the main lawn and see if the tent was still there. There it was, brighter in the darkness. A few stars hovered in the sky, looking as if they wanted to come down and join the fun. The strange, whimsical music was still playing, though it sounded much wilder than during the ceremony. Wheatsy tiptoed through the grass, still damp from the morning rain, and stood at the flap of the tent. It opened, and one of the flower girls peeked out. She had a wreath of tea roses on her blonde ringlets, deep-set blue eyes, and a mouth like a rosebud with tiny, sharp teeth that showed when she smiled. She gestured for Wheatsy to come inside. "'The boom band is playing,' she said, and disappeared into the crowd. Wheatsy almost turned and went back out, but no one seemed to mind that she was there. Two tall, thin bridesmaids with large noses and hats like giant peonies smiled at her. An elderly gentleman tipped his top hat, revealing one long, thin strand of hair standing straight up on his head. Twelve girls with flowing hair, long brocade dresses, and conspicuously worn-out slippers on their feet were holding hands, dancing in a row. A petite, dark-haired woman breezed past Wheatsy. "'I love your suit,' she cooed. "'Thank you,' said Wheatsy. "'I love yours.' It was the thinnest silk she had ever seen. "'Come by my shop sometime.' She handed Wheatsy a tiny silk pouch. Inside was a silver card that said, "'Lacey's Beautiful World.' Wheatsy tucked it into Coco's pocket. On a small stage, three bearded musicians in turbans were playing instruments Wheatsy had never seen before, though they resembled some kind of a huge twisted horn, a sitar, and a giant xylophone with pastel keys. Everyone seemed to be dancing. A tall, skinny man with a big nose, a shaved head, and a tuxedo with tails was holding the dark-haired, gammon, puffy-dressed bride. Wheatsy blinked at the little smiling hearts and bluebirds fluttering around their heads. Someone was tugging on Coco's sleeve. It was the little flower girl. The band boomed. Before she knew it, Wheatsy was dancing. Dr. Seuss, the girl said. What? Dr. Seuss, oh, the places you'll go. You'll find the bright places where boom bands are playing. A very tiny old lady with a lavender sari and violets in her white hair joined Wheatsy and the flower girl. The woman was so graceful, like a young bride herself, Wheatsy thought. That's how I want to be. She took the woman's hand and they danced and danced. People moved back to watch them. 
When the song ended, the woman led Weetzie over to a table. Why are you here? Oh, I'm sorry, said Weetzie. The little girl brought me in. I should leave. The woman laughed. No, you're, you're welcome at the wedding. I meant, what brings you to the hotel? Her eyes were like a saint's. Clairvoyant, transparent blue against her teak-colored skin. Weetzie wanted suddenly to tell her everything. I, I had my prom here, Weetzie said. There was this boy. I never kissed him. And now, Max, that's my boyfriend. We've stopped kissing. We've stopped doing anything. While she listened, the woman's fingers were moving in the air as if she were weaving invisible threads. He was your psychopomp, she said, the boy. What's that? Spirit guide, to help you find your hidden possibility. Animus, the godlike male part of you. If we meet our counterpart before we have fully, fully developed ourselves, it can be overwhelming. Like Psyche looking at the light of Cupid, it can blind you if you aren't prepared. The music stopped and someone shouted, Cake! A cake the size of the bride's wedding dress was wheeled into the tent. It was in the shape of a white palace with turrets, balustrades, balconies, windows that glinted as if there were little lights inside, and a garden of real pinkish-white roses. Weetzie was so struck by it that she didn't notice the waiter at first. He left the cart and hurried back, but on the way, she touched his arm. "'You get around,' she said. "'I try to take every gig I can get,' said Pan, winking. "'What's your excuse?' "'I crashed.' I heard it's all vegan, he said, glancing back at the cake. Fruit juice sweetened. I heard the bride is lactose intolerant, too. He waved and disappeared through the flap in the tent. The woman in the lavender sari smiled. The violets bobbed in her hair. You've come to the right place, my dear, she said to Weetzie. Escape. After she had eaten a piece of cake that looked like part of a miniature white palace, tasted like a kiss, and was certain not to give her indigestion of any kind— Weetzie left the tent and crossed the lawn. She felt dizzy from eating nothing but wedding cake for dinner. The light on the pathway was eerie and green. Her cell phone rang, and she jumped, answering without thinking. Child, a voice said. Weetzie realized it was the same voice that had been leaving the strange messages. But this time, it sounded entirely different. Hoarse, animated, deranged. You are being punished for abusing your private parts. You bring that aberration back here this instant. Do you hear me? I know you do, Perry. Weetzie almost flung the phone to the ground. Instead, she began to run. Tick, tick, tick went her heels. Tick, tock, tick, tock. She reached for the key she had tucked into Coco's pocket. She was certain she heard footsteps behind her, but this time it sounded as if they belonged to more than one person. Weetzie stepped off the path into the bushes and waited. Three figures came along the walkway. They were all very thin, with pale, narrow faces and long red hair. One had a long red beard, too. But besides, and even in spite of this, it was hard to tell their genders. They were dressed in prim, dark suits and shirts with buttoned-up collars. One was wheeling a huge, old-fashioned baby carriage. As they passed, Weetzie peered inside and saw that it was empty. She stumbled through the bushes away from the carriage, her heels sinking in the mud from the morning rain. 
Coco's sleeve caught on a twig, and Wheatsy heard the threads snag. Every sound seemed amplified. She began to run as fast as she could to reach Perry's room from the other side. The lights were off. She ran around to the French doors and knocked. It's me, she whispered as loudly as she could. Perry let Wheatsy into the room. If she had looked white before, now she was truly transparent. She was wearing a long, old-fashioned white lace nightgown and white socks, and her hair streamed down over her shoulders. Witsy didn't have to say anything. Perry immediately woke Bean, who was sleeping on top of the covers in a dark jacket and sneakers. He sat up as if he had been expecting this. His mother slid a long, fitted, black leather trench coat over her nightgown and zipped her feet and legs into black leather thigh-high boots. She picked up the black leather satchel that was standing ready by the door and took Bean in her other arm. Then, before Perry and Bean disappeared through the French doors into the night, the red-haired woman leaned over, kissed Wheatsy's cheek, and pressed something cold and hard into her palm. There was a rapping at the front door. Wheatsy crouched down under the writing desk and held her breath. After a while, the knocks grew softer and softer. Wheatsy put her head on the deep grass-colored carpet and closed her eyes. She dreamed of a large, spiky, wrought iron gate that opened onto an old graveyard. Among the stone angels and thick, humid foliage stood a dilapidated gingerbread house. Perry and Bean walked up to the front path to the porch. In the moonless night, with their black clothes, they were almost invisible. The front door of the house creaked open. A man stepped out. He was tall and fine-boned, with eyes that glowed in the dark like a cat's. His skin was stained with soot. His ears were like an animal's, pointed and covered in pale, silky fur. He took Perry and Bean in his arms. The door closed behind them. Wheatsy saw morning creeping into the sky. Someone was whistling. Wheatsy jumped up, bumping her head on the writing desk. The sun was streaming in through the large windows, and a feather duster was hovering in the air. Oh, good. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Hola, Mrs. Wheatsy, Esmeralda <laughs> said. Are you all right? <laughs> Are you all right? No, oh, no. <laughs> oh, this is bad. <laughs> Hola, Mrs. Wheatsy. Esmeralda said, Are you all right? <laughs> Hola, Esmeralda. Wheatsy scrambled to stand. She realized she was holding something so tightly in her hand that it had almost cut the skin. It was an emerald. She said goodbye to Esmeralda and hurried outside. In the gardens, it was once again impossible to imagine anything even slightly sinister. But there was something strange. As Wheatsy hurried out of Perry's room, in sandals caked with dried mud, she saw that someone had painted the front door a pale silver. And the old-fashioned baby carriage she had seen the night before was abandoned on the path. She stood there, dazed by the sun, Suddenly, a man in white pants and a cap drove up in a cart and began sanding off the silver paint. Wheatsy wondered how long it would take to cover an entire door with silver nail polish, especially if you were the size of a bean. She hoped that at least it had worked to keep the monsters away.
Soaps and shopping. After what had happened the night before, Wheatsy was not interested in an adventure, at least not for the moment. As soon as she got back to her room, she opened the windows, ate a bag of pretzels, drank some grapefruit juice from the refrigerator, took off all her clothes, took a bath, pulled down the covers, and tucked herself under the cool, fresh sheets. She closed her eyes and slept until she was awakened by the phone. A man's voice said, uh, I have Dashiell Hart on the line for Wheatsy Bet. Oh, yes? Hi. Hi, darling, said the producer. How are you? Fine. Listen, I, I hope you don't mind me calling. I've been talking with Sable, and he came up with an idea for a project we'd like to discuss with you. Can you meet, meet for lunch tomorrow at the hotel? Wheatsy was delighted. She was starting to feel that, except for warning Perry and Bean, she hadn't been doing anything very constructive while she was here. Maybe Tristan Sable and Dashiell Hart had an idea for a movie. After she hung up, she reached for the remote and put on the TV. The soap opera in which Tristan played an angel was on. He looked very different, clean-shaven and without his glasses. Wheatsy watched him grab the shirt collar of a depraved-looking, greasy-haired man in black leather pants, who she gathered was a vampire, while she dialed room service. She was half relieved and half disappointed when a woman answered to take her order of a vegetable platter and bottled water. But when the doorbell rang, Pan was standing there. Wheatsy pulled her robe tighter around her. Is this all you're eating? he asked her. You can't survive on crudités and wedding cake, lady. I don't have much of an appetite. Things keep happening. He brought the tray in and set it on the bed. What you watching? Eden Place. Tristan Sable was now unbuttoning the blouse of a young, slender blonde. He kissed her neck as he slid the fabric off her tan shoulders. Wheatsy wondered if he ever took off his own shirt on the air, and if she had imagined the feathers pressed beneath the cotton when she hugged him the other night. She felt her face heating up once again. Uh, it's not bad, she told Pan, without looking at him. <laughs> that guy's got it made, Pan said. Then he added quickly, uh, to, to have a part like that. Then she, and she realized he didn't want her thinking he was referring to Tristan kissing the actress. I'm having lunch with him and the producer tomorrow, Wheatsy said. Pan checked his watch. I better get back to work. Wheatsy caught his wrist. He swiveled around to look at her. Isn't it funny, she said, how you keep turning up? Like, uh, wouldn't be a kick if you happened to be working the lunch shift tomorrow? He winked at her. With a headshot and resume, she said as he opened the door. Eat something. You need strength for your meeting, he said. When she smelled the night-blooming flowers waking up outside her window, she decided to take an evening walk. She'd cleaned the mud off her sandals and put them on. Uh, she had cleaned the mud off her sandals and put them on with the black trousers, studded belt, and a new white tank over her palest pink French lace bra. Wheatsy took the path down to the far end of the hotel, where a row of green glass shops stood among, along a reflecting pool in the shade of the palms and jacarandas. She passed a florist, a fancy pharmacy, a bookstore slash magazine stand, a gourmet coffee place, a jeweler, a gift shop that sold wind chimes, china fairy and mermaid figurines, paperweights, blown glass, animals, scented candles, and, in an effort to discourage impulsive theft, hotel room items like bathrobes and satin sheets. There was also Lacey's Beautiful World. The lady from the wedding was standing behind the counter wearing a silk blouse of fine loose weave. 
I met you last night, the lady said. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. All kinds of strange things are happening. How are you? Everything is beautiful, the woman said, isn't it? Mm, the air smells so good. Weetsy nodded, looking through the green glass at the sunset reflected in the long, narrow pool. Purple jacaranda blossoms were drifting down into the water. The lawn was dark velvet green with shadows. Weetsy went over to a rack where suits, dresses, and blouses like the one the woman was wearing were hanging. They were the softest, most fragile things she had ever felt. But they were strangely strong at the same time, and they glinted with an uncanny light in varying shades of white, cream, gray, and silver. Speaking of beautiful, she said, choosing a silver-white suit with fitted jacket and short skirt. Where are these from? I make them, the woman said. Are you lazy? She nodded. Where do you find the fabric? I I've never seen anything like it. Lacey looked into Wheatsey's eyes as if she were trying to figure something out. You don't seem to me to be the type of person that minds strange things, am I right? If I was before, I'm not now, said Wheatsey. Everything is strange these days. <laughs> well then, Lacey locked the door of the store, sat down, lifted up her shirt so her slim abdomen was exposed. A tiny pair of arms and hands protruded there. Lacey began to move all four hands about with quick, mysterious movements. A milky liquid seemed to be coming out of her, sticking to her fingers in long threads that she wove together. In a short time, she was holding a beautiful silvery-white scarf. She took a pair of scissors and snipped it off her body. How? Wheatsy stopped herself. There was no point in asking. Just like any woman, Lacey said, handing Wheatsy the scarf. We weave our stories out of our bodies. Some of us through our children or our art. Some do it just by living. It's all the same. Weetsy took off her clothes and put on the suit. There was no reason to be modest after what she'd just seen. The fabric was so fine that it seemed to melt away at the edges. She bought it on the spot. Do you mind me asking, how did you find out you could do this? She asked. Oh, I'm a survivor, Lacey said calmly. Weetsy waited for her to go on. Once there was this man. I was terrified. I had... No idea what I had, what I could do, but all of a sudden, it started happening. I made a web around his face. I got away. Weetsy wished she knew what to say. Lacey smiled and brushed a piece of hair out of Weetsy's eyes. You look so great, she said. Do you have any plans? I'm on my own, said Weetsy, and for the first time since she'd been here, she wished she wasn't. Well, have fun. There's a shoe store down the way. Come visit me again. Weetsy hadn't planned on buying shoes, but she had to go in the little shop when she saw through the green glass the twelve dancing girls from the wedding. They were all wearing long gowns and trying on flats. When they saw Weetsy, they rushed out the door giggling, and she was left staring at a pair of raspberry snakeskin sandals with precariously high heels and ankle straps. Who are those girls? Weetsy asked the salesman. The twelve dancing princesses, he said blithely. Good customers. They wear everything out in weeks. Those shoes are you. Weetsy was so bewildered by the twelve girls that she bought the shoes that instant and wore them out the door. She was almost at the end of the row of shops when she came to a small art gallery. 
It was closed, but she paused at the window and looked in. A large painting filled the glass. It was of the lower portion of a woman's face, her full mouth and sharp chin, and her neck. She had one hand raised, lightly touching her collarbone, where four jewels glimmered as if they were lit from behind the canvas. There was a pearl, a ruby, an emerald, and a sapphire. Then Weetzi noticed a name written on the glass. Zane Starling, Recent Work. The date of the reception was in four days. Weetzi walked through the gardens to the Japanese restaurant where she ordered some miso soup, avocado rolls, vegetable tempura, rice, and tofu salad to go. Then she went back to her room, ate, and lay in the dark in the webby, suit and, in the webby skirt and jacket, wondering what in the world she would say to Zane Starling. Movies. Weetzi's idea of a business suit was Coco, a white tank top, her new raspberry snakeskin sandals, and her Hello Kitty watch. She met Dashiell Hart and Tristan Sable on the terrace. Tristan once again looked very different from his TV self. He wore the thick-rimmed glasses and had his hair in a ponytail. Weetzi tried to see if there was anything bunching up at the back of his t-shirt, but it was too hard to tell. Dashiell had on an expensive-looking daffodil yellow shirt. He smelled like peppermint. Their waiter, Witsy, pretended to be surprised, was Pan. When she introduced him, Dashiell said, Great name! Yours too, said Pan. Both of you. You all sound like characters in some crazy book, said Witsy. Oh, really? <laughs> Dashiell peered at her over the top of his sunglasses. Witsy Bat, talk about overriding, darling. It's my real <laughs> name, she said. I think my dad saw it on a license plate on the freeway in the San Fernando Valley. May I suggest the special, Pan said. Pasta with white beans, garlic, basil, Roma tomatoes, and a touch of olive oil. We can make it without the Parmesan. He winked at Wheatsy. While they were waiting for their pasta, Wheatsy asked, So what's this idea you have? Dashiell gestured to Tristan, who said, well, you know, we're big fans of your work, so I thought maybe do a new piece with your character running away and staying at this hotel. It's just such a great setting. You meet all these weird people and surreal stuff happens. I'm not sure what. You meet a charming soap opera angel with actual wings, said Dashiell. Tristan squirmed. In the end, you go back to the Max character, he said quickly. Is this for Max to direct? Wheatsy asked. Dashiell nodded. Because he hasn't worked in a while, he's been sort of down. That's the whole point, said Dashiell. A comeback. And for you, too, said Tristan. You mean I play me? Wheatsy was more excited than she would have expected. She felt color rise in her cheeks. Of course, silly. Dashiell patted her hand. Also, said Wheatsy, I don't mean to be ungrateful, but Max is really into doing things his own way. He's only worked independently before. That's what we like, said Tristan. Right, Dashiell? Absolutely. That's the whole point. Pan came back with the food and left. Wheatsy said, what if my character meets this fawn with furry legs, cloven hooves, and a tail? He does look fawnish, said Dashiell. Actually, that might work on the show. What do you think, Tristan? 
Tristan nodded. I like this fawn thing. I don't think it's been done. They finished their meal with coffee and a tiramisu to share. Wheatsy excused herself. Pan met her at the ladies' room door. Thank you, he said. Do you have your resume? He pulled it out of the back of his pants. Are you sure this is all right? Of course, they're interested. Thank you so much, he said. His voice quavered a little, which surprised her. She went back to the table, wishing she had been as excited about helping Max. But maybe this new project would be the thing he needed. Maybe if he looked at her through a camera lens, he would see her again. When she was saying goodbye to Dashiell and Sable, Tristan bent his head and kissed her hand. Weetie saw a blonde boy sitting in a ditch holding a soiled puppet. It was some kind of soft, furry animal that had once been white, but was now quite gray. It had a single sapphire eye. The boy looked as if he had been beaten. His eyelid was turning purple, and there was blood on his temple and his mouth. His glasses were cracked and broken. He was humming to himself, rocking the lamb back and forth in his arms. Suddenly, there was a terrible tearing sound from the young man's bruised scratched shoulders sprouted huge white wings wow said wheatsy does that happen to you a lot asked tristan what dashiell asked wheatsy turned over her hand and opened her palm revealing a shockingly bright blue jewel Nice trick, darling, Dashiell said. Can you make me a diamond? They got into his jaguar and disappeared down the hill, through the gate, out of the pink hotel. Anima Animus Wheatsy swam laps in the pool that afternoon. Then she had her hair done and got a facial at the Cherry Blossom Salon. She had to admit that all this talk of movies was making her feel a little self-conscious about her appearance, she couldn't admit to herself that she was getting ready for Zane Starling's art opening. To distract herself further, she decided to go back to the bar to see heaven. Wheatsy was sipping her glass of sparkling water, watching the effervescent twinkle of the stars in the ceiling, when a green satin gown descended from a hidden opening in the dome. Inside the dress was heaven. This time she sang about floating brides, boys with wings, monsters without hearts, and kisses turning to jewels— she sang about how each of us has a male and female self. Wheatsy thought of the lady in the lavender sari and what she had said about Zane Starling. Heaven's last song was about a man who missed his lover so deeply that his soul followed her like a ghost, his footsteps echoing down the path behind her wherever she went. Don't cry, girlfriend, she told herself, pretending Ping was here. You'll ruin your makeup. After the set was over, a small, wiry young man approached Wheatsy's table. He was dressed simply in a black t-shirt, black jeans, and black canvas converse high tops. In one ear, he wore a single ruby. May I join you? he asked softly. Sure, said Wheatsy. Heaven wanted me to give you this. He handed her a small envelope. Wheatsy found an invitation inside. It read, Please come to Heaven's Ball. It's the prom you didn't attend, the wedding you never had. The surprise party no one ever threw for you. The celebration you dream of. The date of the event was in five nights. Wheatsy tucked the invitation into Coco's pocket. What did you think of the show? The man asked. 
it, it was so beautiful. I don't know how she does it. It's it's like that song from the 70s. Uh, what is it? Um, singing my life with her words. His words. Roberta Flack, 1973, Killing Me Softly. <laughs> I'm such a geek, aren't I? Weetzie said. Hey, I'm the one who knows the exact date it came out. You would think I was a geek if I told you the first song that made me cry. Seasons in the Sun. How did you know? Wheatsy exclaimed. You're as bad as heaven. The man held her eyes with his gaze and smiled wryly. Oh, said Wheatsy. Whoops. I'm Haven, he said. Heaven's animus. Wheatsy's skin tingled as if tiny bubbles were rising up all over under the surface. Do you think that someone can have their male and female sides so fully developed that they don't need anyone else? She asked after a while. He thought for a moment. Might not need, but when you get what you want, it's pretty amazing. They sat quietly. The stars twinkled in the dome above them. I've always been sort of passive, Wheatsy said. I mean, I've done some things. I've had a baby and raised two babies, plus my boyfriend makes three. I've acted and designed and made clothes, and I, I have a shop and everything, but I don't feel like I've really done anything, you know? <laughs> Sounds like a lot, said Haven. When I was in high school, Weetsy said, I had this friend, Janet Planet. She was only about five feet tall, really cute, long cartoon eyelashes, dressed in Levi's and checkered vans. She had this VW bug she used to drive around really fast, honking and whistling at cute guys, especially firemen. She was obsessed with firemen when we all talked about what we wanted to be when she when we got older she always said a hero i thought it was the coolest thing but it was so different from me what's she doing now haven asked uh last i heard she was a firefighter until she had her second baby and then she quit being a good mother is being a hero said haven right my kids are all big now weetsy said I'm not their hero anymore. I'm not sure I ever was. Maybe their storybook princess when they were really small. So what do you want? Asked Haven. I want to do something, Wheatsy said as a shooting star burned across the glass dome of the bar. Wheatsy and Dirk. Wheatsy went to the hotel restaurant for breakfast. While she ate her blueberry pancakes, she glanced up through the glass doors that opened onto the lobby. A tall, dark-haired man in a robin's egg blue shirt was standing there. Weetsy got up and walked straight into his arms. Smell is a very strange sense, she thought. She remembered hearing once that it is connected to a part of the brain where memory is stored. He still used the same suntan lotion. They were only 18. They surfed all day. Their hair was crusted with salt. Their noses and shoulders were peeling. Dirk pulled his wetsuit off his torso, tied a towel around his waist, and wriggled out of the rest of the suit, then slid on his shorts. He held up Wheatsy's towel like a screen for her to change behind. They ate burritos and sat on the sand watching the sunset. They made a campfire and toasted marshmallows. Their fingers were covered with charred, gooey sugar, and their bodies tingled with the heat of the day. Stars came out, and Wheatsy and Dirk connected shining dots to find the constellations. The little hairs on their arms touched. 
The hair gel once helped a mohawk defy gravity. They were standing in front of the mirror in the aqua-tiled bathroom. Weetzie shaved the sides of Dirk's scalp with a razor. The skin was so thin at his temples. She thought she could see a pulse there. She held her breath, trying not to imagine his blood. Dirk's aftershave smelled dry and green, and his breath smelled like good morning coffee under a light coating of peppermint breath mints. Weetzie lay in bed between Dirk and Duck. She was twenty. She was tipsy. When they kissed her, she saw babies swirling around her, little spirits waiting to come. She didn't realize, until that moment in the pink hotel, how much she had missed Dirk McDonald since she and Max moved out of the house. They all shared back into the cottage. You smell like our whole life, Dirk said softly into her hair. And what else? Blueberry pancakes. Come have breakfast with me. When they were seated together at the table, he asked her, When are you coming home, Waits? Not yet. Why? Why are you here? She looked around the room. It was flooded with light. The linen napkins were doves ready to fly off. The glasses looked so bright they could have sung. There were crystal vases of orange freesias on each table. The air smelled of butter and maple. I'm surprised you're asking me that of anybody. I mean, of course it is beautiful, but I don't get why you did this now. Weetsy asked, Why didn't you go to the prom with me? You know that, Weeds. Tell me again. I wasn't into all the high school hoop de And why else? I wasn't ready to tell you I was gay. But at the same time, I didn't want you to look back on that night and wonder why your date didn't kiss you. And there was that guy. What was his name? Zane Starling. That's right. What kind of name is that, anyway? It's not that strange. Zane is another form of John. He rolled his eyes. Where? On Mars? Anyway, she said. Anyway. I knew you liked each other, and he was a hot guy. A little odd, but hot. I knew he would ask you out, and it would be the way it was supposed to be. What's that? Hell if I know, normal, whatever that is. Kissing, hot sex, not having some gay date who can't even admit that to you. She reached over and squeezed his hand. I would have loved to go with you, honey. What's this all about? He asked. I never even kissed Zane Starling. I was too scared. And I thought somehow by coming back here... I could understand things better. I'm not sure why. And then it turns out he's here. I mean, not here, but he's having an art opening in three days. So you want to rekindle this thing with some guy from 20 years ago? No, Weetsy said. I didn't know he was even going to be here. I just needed to finish something or figure something out. I don't know what it is, but I can't leave yet. Dirk nodded. Then he said, Max is going crazy. She looked down at the table and moved some breadcrumbs around the linen with her fingernail. I'm not quite ready, she said. 
Dirk reached into his pocket to pay the bill. She touched his hand again. Will you spend the day with me? First, he treated her to a massage in her room. They lay next to each other while tall, tan Swedish twins in white rubbed their muscles with scented oils. Then they swam in the pool and lay on the lounge chairs under the green umbrellas. She told Dirk about the kisses and the jewels. None of it seemed to surprise him that much. Since they'd met, their lives were full of magic. <laughs> Plus, the masseurs alone had convinced him that this wasn't an ordinary place. But he did tell her that he was worried when she mentioned Sal, the phone calls for Perry, and the footsteps on the path. I'm fine, Weetsy said. I'm having an adventure. I just want you to be safe. Dashiell Hart wants to make a movie about me here, she said, with Max directing. He glanced around at the tiled pool with its little fountains, at the pink hotel, which looked almost white in the brightness of the day, and the palm trees gleaming gold where the sun touched their fronds. He said, this would be a great location. You should know, said Weetsy. Dirk had a job as a location scout for a major studio. He got paid a lot of money for finding the best mansions and bars and parks and gardens in town. But Weetsy thought he missed working on their little movies. Of course, you'll be perfect, he said. I feel a little too old, but it would be fun. I bet we could get you in on it, too. What about Max? What about him? You'd work with him? Dirk, Weetsy said, I still love Max. I just had to get away. I have to see. What do you have to see? Zane, what's his name? That waiter guy's curly tail? No, said Weetsy, it's not that. Then what? She shrugged and twirled the paper parasol on the cranberry juice and mineral water she had ordered. Why did you tell Cherokee and Lily where I was? They were frantic, Dirk said. They're your kids. What if your mom did something like this when you were their age? Weetsy said she did a lot worse. She sipped her drink, imagining a tiny Brandy Lynn swimming in a martini glass. Was coming to the pink hotel as selfish as that? Would it hurt her girls in the same way? But she never went away without telling you where she was. They have a right to know, Dirk said. How did you find out anyway? He reached into his pocket and tossed her the hotel matchbox he had picked up after breakfast. She rolled her eyes. You've got to stop raiding ladies' purses. Listen, Wheats, I was worried about you. And with all this about mutilated mermaids and freaky cell phone messages and stalkers, I'm fine, Wheatsy said. I promise. But that evening, when he was about to go, she hugged him for a little longer than usual, and he looked into her face. Do you want me to spend the night? he asked. She nodded. He called Duck to tell him he'd be back in the morning. Then they ordered grilled salmon with cilantro mango chutney from room service. While they were waiting for the food, Weetsy changed into the suit from Lacey and spun around. So she's a spider? Weetsy shrugged. She told me she just started pulling the threads out of her body when that guy attacked her. Well, it looks hot on you. She grinned at him. You always know how to make a girl feel good.
Then one by one she took the kissing jewels out of the silk pouch Lacey had given her. Wow, Dirk said. He held the emerald up to the light. The real thing. I think so. What are you going to do with them? Heaven said they're for my necklace. But even as she said that, it didn't feel quite right. Why had she been given the jewels? Did she deserve them? What were they for? What about the family who felt she had abandoned them? Did they need kisses too? Weetsy closed her eyes and made a wish for wish... Weetsy closed her eyes and made a wish for Witch Baby and Cherokee, as if the stones were birthday candles or first stars. She wasn't sure what to wish for Max. Just then the food arrived. It made Weetsy feel calmer right away. The bottle of white wine didn't hurt, either. Remember when I used to have to chew pink bubblegum to tolerate the taste of wine? She giggled. Remember when you used to drink champagne with a straw? Remember when I could drink as much rum as you in one sitting, even though I weigh about twice as much as you? She put her hands on her stomach. Oh, God, I don't want to remember drinking that much. Dirk said, but there are so many good things to remember. Duck and I were talking about it the other night. How many amazing things happened for so long now. Now, for the last couple of years, it seems so quiet all the time. I think amazing things are happening again, said Weetsy, and she leaned back against Dirk's chest in the big satiny hotel bed and closed her eyes. Ooh. Oh, well. Well. <laughs> well. <laughs> There's a... <laughs> Uh, we spontaneously watched Waiting for Guffman with friends who came over the other night. They had they had seen Best in Show, but not, <gasps> not Guffman. Wow. Wow. Yep. Wow. Wow. Fuck. What's your favorite from the Christopher Guest universe? Oh, it's absolutely Guffman. I mean, it's 100%. really hard to not make it Guffman, especially as actors, but... I mean, I found it in high school when I was actively doing community oh, theater with some of the most bonkers people that I've ever met in my whole life. Uh, and it could like it couldn't I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was like, oh, this is not just my experience. This is so much everyone's experience that it is almost commedia dell'arte. Oh, oh, oh. I want to write this down. Mm-hmm. I next mm-hmm. time we do a real, real episode, I want to talk mm-hmm. about worst theater experiences. <gasps> Girl, which somehow we've yes. never done. We really haven't. That's isn't that shocking? Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I boy, we the stories. I want to say Guffman is like, first of all, it's the song of our people. But I do have to say, <laughs> uh, just a mighty wind, a mighty wind. Oh, it's is beautiful. So expert. It's yes. Redi- like, like he's a fucking savant. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a savant, and it yep. shines so perfectly there. God, I miss Fred Willard. <laughs> oh. I want to say, um, who was it? I don't know. Some actress posted a video in the middle of the pandemic, just posted the video of Fred Willard doing <laughs> doing his thing in A Mighty Wind, which is where he is the 
bonkers talent manager of the of the um uh, of the group that serves as like the Christie Street minstrels the- or something. Yeah, this, they're like the Partridge family, Like a Partridge right? family, exactly. Yeah. Just a fuck ton of people, and it's very uh, it's very toothpaste commercially, as mm-hmm. the Kingsman trio like to say. <laughs> um, but he, Fred Willard, you know, it's, it's all long-form improv, and Fred Willard showed up to set to do his talking head, where he talks about managing this group, and he shows up on set... He has done this himself with spiky bleached hair. Christopher Guest has said this. <laughs> and he just, he would just keep going. He'd just go and go and go forever. And Christopher Guest would have to make him stop. And he sits there in his <laughs> office talking about how he was a child star on a show called Hey, What Up? Uh, was what was the show that, called? That was his. No, he, I don't know, but that was his. On like an eighty sitcom catchphrase, and his catchphrase is "Hey, what happened?" And so the first <laughs> fucking thing he says is, "Let's get this out of the way." Hey, what happened? <laughs> As though I mean, it's just it's and one of the things, and his, he's like, "His because his fake fan base is like <laughs> crying for it," <laughs> and he goes along, uh, along with some other. <laughs> I don't think oh so. Oh my god, he's just a fucking genius. He's a fucking genius. Actually, I think What Happened uh, is the name of the show because then they show a variety uh, that uh, they show a variety headline that says like What Happened canceled due to extreme lack of interest. <laughs> extreme lack of interest. And so uh, the social media post of this video uh, from this actress was just like, just just, a, just some good in your world. This will always exist. And it's Fred Willard's whole it. talking head. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yay. What a wonderful, incredible human being. God, the fucking joy. The joy. Mm-hmm. And him doing Midnight at the Oasis with Catherine O'Hara is <laughs> lives rent-free in my head also. <laughs> Forever, always. Mm. (laughs) You don't have to answer. (laughs) You know what my favorite part? My favorite part of Waiting for Guffman, and Shauna does this so perfectly, when they're in the gym and they're rehearsing Stool Boom. Uh 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 And so they've gone through the whole first verse and they're doing some of the choreography. And they're like, some first time, it's going to go into the next verse. Uh And Catherine O'Hara goes, stop! Because she's like, (laughs) she thinks they're taking the second ending. Oh, and yeah, she yeah. belts stool boom so loud, but then like she sucks it back into her mouth and then just like keeps on going with the choreography like she didn't do any. It is. And her hair is its own character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reverence that Lillian is showing me, the vi- the visual is fantastic. And I love I just, that that uh... moment in and of itself is an impersonation that shot of nails oh yeah yeah I love you I love you we love you too have a great day we love all of you yeah Yeah, we do it's so everything's it's weird out right now it's It's just weird out take care of yourselves be gentle to yourselves it's yep and I mean I feel like brace yourselves is really (laughs) Mm, not wrong (laughs) 
not fucking wrong. I feel like I need to learn how to weave. I haven't had a loom in a long time. <laughs> Sorry, you had a loom once? Dude, you can't do that. We've already said goodbye. <laughs> And that's another story that should be told another time. Fuck!